This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Fun. Hey, where are my sports fans at? Come on, come on. You're like, you're quiet sports fans. Are you golf fans like you do this? Like, no, yeah. Perfect. Um, I'm, uh, my, me and my family, we're not like huge sports people. Like, we love to watch the games, like the big games, that's super fun and stuff. But like, any time we move somewhere, it's always fun to find the sports fans. And like, cause some of you are crazy, right? Like, you just like, you're like, I remember when we moved to Canada, this is how like out of touch with sports our family is. We're, we're watching hockey on the TV and Brooklyn is like, Dad, they play baseball on ice here. Like, she just didn't have a clue. But as we got there, we, we realized, oh, hockey's huge part of Canadian life. And I began to discover, like, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs was a huge team that a lot of my friends were fans of. But I watched them just get defeated and crushed every year because this team would, like, take you to the edge and then just disappoint you. It was just, it was so sad to see that. But I always loved, like, whenever I stepped into a new spot. So moving here in 2020... I began to realize, oh, we've got some Giants fans in the room. Yeah. Yep, for sure. This is how I'm just getting cheap applauses at the start of the message. I love it. Uh, then I, I, we were having breakfast with some of the seniors this week. It was pretty fun. And so we were like, hey, there's some Golden State Warriors fans. That's basketball, right? No, okay. All right. Uh, but and th- what I always love is when I encounter a transplant fan. Right, that's somebody that comes from someone else, but they bring their team with them. Like that person stands alone a lot, right? So I, I've got some Dodger fans that I know that live in this area, but they're kind of like, shh, don't tell anyone. Um, one, one of my good friends uh, years ago, he was from the Bay Area, and then he moved down to San Diego. Diehard Oakland fan, back when the Oakland Raiders were in this area, and then he married his wife, and she was a Broncos fan. Right, and so I'm like, this your your, your relationship is doomed. It's never going to work. Um, so he was like, going to take her up to this area to visit with family and stuff. And he's like, and we're going to go to an Oakland game. And so he's telling me the story, like they're getting ready to go to the game. And so she comes out all decked out in her Broncos gear. Her bro- yeah, like some of you are like, no. And he he's just like, no, you can't wear that. And she's like, I, I'm a Broncos fan. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You'll be killed. Like this, I, this isn't about my team is better than your team. Like this just won't go well for you. He's just like, or I'll wind up in prison defending you. Like, 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 can you just put on some black and silver, please? Right. So it was kind of, but I, I just, I love whenever you encounter a fan because fans are just super enthusiastic and excited and they're into it. And like you use weird language, like, oh, we're going to win. We're going to win the game today. And I'm like, are you, are you playing in the game? Like, what do you mean we're going to win? Like, do you own a piece of the team? Like, there's just all these fun things about that. And, and I think sometimes that, that idea of being a fan, we can bring that into the life Jesus called us into to like follow him in this world. And, and so I, I want to talk today with you about this idea of being a Jesus fan, but not like a sports fan. Because I think the danger if we bring that thinking into this life that Jesus has for us is, is that it's really easy to fall into the trap of being an enthusiastic spectator versus a participant, or, or to even get to the point where you're like a fair weather fan, right? And so when it's going well, yay Jesus, but when it's not going well, you're like, is there other options on the table? And, and so today I want to talk about this idea of being a Jesus fan, but from the perspective of a fan that, flan, that fans a flame, 
that, that, that helps breathe on the embers and, and awakens a, a passion and helps something burn bright in your life. And so my, my hope in, is that in the time that Christy and I and our family have been able to spend with you over the last years is that we've helped in some way do that for you. We've helped breathe life into your journey with Jesus and helped ignite something in you, a passion that you would have to chase after Jesus with everything that you've got. And, and I think that's so important that we recognize that, that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's like, I want you to be more than a fan. I want, I want you to follow me into this life I have for you because I not only want to do something incredible in your story, but I want to begin to do incredible things through your story into the world around you. And so I love this thing that Jesus says to his, his followers once upon a time. He says that you're the light of the world. And, and, and as followers of Jesus, we're meant to illuminate the beauty of him and the beauty of God and the truth of God and the goodness of God to the world around us. And Jesus says, like, you don't light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. He's like, you put it on a stand so it illuminates the entire house. It illuminates everything around you. And and so I, I hope, New Life, as you continue forward in the coming year and years, that you will continue to shine bright so that this city and this county can see the beauty of him through you. And so today, I just want to talk about how do we fan that flame so as we get ready, like this is our second to the last Sunday with you, as we get ready to step into the, the journey that God has for us, you would continue to carry forward the mission he has you on as you follow after him. And so I love the way one of the early Christian leaders, this guy, or like he was pre-Christian, but he was going to get there in time in his own story. But this guy, Joshua, he says this, Joshua was the leader that took the reins after Moses. So do you remember Moses? If you're familiar with the Bible stories, like the little baby that was like thrown in the water by mom to save his life. It was a good mom. And, and then he like, he, he smashed the tablets. You familiar? Like Charlton Heston, if you're old. Prince of Egypt cartoon if you're a little bit younger, right? So like Moses, like, like God used him to bring, to rescue the people out of slavery and to lead them to this promised land he had for them. And so as, as Moses' tenure ended, Joshua was raised up to be the new leader. And then God used Joshua to help bring the people into this promised land so that they could live in the land God had promised centuries before. And so as Joshua is now kind of releasing the people to go and live in the land, I love what he says to them, Joshua 24, 14 to 15. This is kind of his words of encouragement to them. He goes, he says, so, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly and put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Like, 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 like just pick, pick who you're going to follow, pick who you're going to chase after. And then he just says, but for me, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And I, and I just love that. Like, hey, you've got a choice. Every day you live, you've got a choice. Who are you going to serve? And, and my hope is that you will continue to say, Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I, I want you. Because you're the one, you're it, you're good. And so I want to talk about how we can fan that flame, that, that passion for Jesus. And so I just want to take the word fan, and I want to help you like grab hold of this, and it's a simple acrostic. So I'm going to try and be like a good teacher and give you a simple acrostic. So if you think of the word fan, three words. Are you ready? First, always, now. Can you hold on to that? Can you say it with me? First, always, 
now. And so we're going to talk about this. And so let's talk about this, this idea, if we're going to fan a flame to follow after Jesus, that passion that we could have for him would grow in our life. Here's the first one. Jesus first. Jesus first in our stories. Jesus first in our lives. It's amazing when, when you see people encountering Jesus in the stories of his life, and he calls them to follow him. What he's saying is, I'm the priority now. I'm first in your life. And I want you to chase after me with everything that you've got. Because when you make me first, I will fundamentally change your life for the best. And so there's this idea that, that when we follow Jesus, it's, it's this idea of like, Jesus, you're, you're going to be first in my life now. You're my number one priority, and I want to chase you with everything that I've got. And Jesus talks about this. He says this in Matthew 16 to those who were going to follow after him. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, and so that's like the fancy word back in the, the, that day of somebody that said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to belong. I will become a student. I will become somebody who will learn from you. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I think we got to wrestle with this because I think what Jesus is challenging is this idea that we can sometimes buy into that I can actually have two number ones in my life. That, that I can somehow have two priorities that I think are equally important, and I'm going to try and hold on to both of them. And, and I, like, that just doesn't work. Have you noticed that? Like when you try to make two things number one, one is always going to take precedent at some point in your life. And it's usually the thing that you think is most important or most helpful or most meaningful in the moments of life. And when we make Jesus that number one in our life, we're like, I'm committing to you. That means that when, wherever life goes, however it unfolds, I'm choosing you. I'm holding on to you. Because when we don't do that, when we actually try to live with multiple priorities, we actually begin to live with a divided heart. And so politics becomes my God instead of you, Jesus. Or, or, or success or fame or whatever it is that I'm chasing after, affluence and comfort and security, that becomes my God. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, like there's one priority. And when you make me that priority, you'll find that everything you look for and want in life will be found in and through me. I love it when you just see the, the, the beauty of somebody who understands a priority and chases after it. When my oldest daughter, Indy, was really young, like we were still just, she was just like maybe two-ish years old and just full of life and exploring reality and stuff. I remember one day I'm, I'm just in the bathroom getting ready and I'm shaving and stuff. And so she had just stumbled in and she's just kind of hanging out with me and she's watching and she's like, what are you doing with that stuff on your face? And I'm like, I'm scraping off the whiskers and like, just trying to, like, talk that whole through with her. And, and she had this little, like, book that she really loved, like, a little cardboard book. It was the kind that, remember those, like, if you had kids, like, you give them this book, and you're like, if they eat it, it's, at least there's fiber in it, it'll be okay, kind of. And so, like, she just had her little favorite book. And, and so we're just hanging out and just, like, kind of, you're, you're talking as much as you can with a two-year-old, and it's gibberish, and you're like, I think I know what you just said, but whatever. And then I remember I hear Christy calling her. She's like, Indy, lunch, Indy, lunch. That, that tells you how long I slept in that day. I'm shaving at lunchtime. Um, and so, like, and, I, and then I become aware that Indy's, like, willfully ignoring Christy's call. 
And now I'm kind of like, how do I respond? Like, because I want to support her as a parent, but I don't want to override her authority. But, you know, like, like all those things. Like, you know, you can overanalyze the situation way too much. So that's what I'm doing instead of actually trying to figure out how to help. I'm just like that. And then I just hear Christy say this simple phrase. Indy, bananas. And boom, that kid was gone. I was just like, I was like, what? Like a magic trick. Like, where did she go? And, and like, so at that point in her life, Indy loved bananas. It was like one of her favorite snacks. And so Christy, just the brilliance of a parent that she was, just she knew how to like get her to come. And so I just remember I finished getting ready in that morning and I'm walking out of the hallway to the kitchen where they're hanging out. And I just see on the floor her favorite little book. And it just struck me how like with reckless abandon, she gave up this thing she loved because she was pursuing something she thought was greater. And I just remember, I remember I picked the book up and it just struck me and I'm like, Jesus, I want to be like this with you. Like when, when you call my name, when you say, Joel, let's go, like whatever I'm holding on to that I think is so great, I, I just, I want to have that passion for you that would just, forget this, I want what you have. I'm going to chase after you with everything I've got because Jesus, I, I believe you are that good. I believe you are worth it. Could you help me to be like my daughter, who when she understands there's a better offer on the table, she chases after it with everything she's got. And I just think there's something so incredible about that, because it's not always easy to do, right? To, to keep Jesus first isn't always easy. Like other things come in, other things like demand our attention or our focus. And, and th- th- there's this really amazing story that takes place between Jesus and somebody that wants to follow him. And, and Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 8. And, and Jesus has just been doing some teaching at this point about like, hey, it, it will cost you to follow me. There's just like, you've got to choose. If you're going to make me number one, that means other things aren't. And, and so this guy comes to him and says like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but first let me go home and bury my father. That seems like a reasonable request, right? You know what Jesus says to him? He says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me now. And I remember like reading that and I'm like, Jesus, dude, like that's harsh. Like, what are you talking about? And I think we need to understand the cultural context of that conversation. Because to me, what it sounds like is the guy's waiting to go to the funeral. He's like, Jesus, like, just give me like an hour. Let me like finish the funeral and then I'll follow you. That's not what the guy's actually requesting. The guy is saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I have to wait until my father dies so that I can then gain the inheritance that would belong to me as his son. And then when I get to make the decisions in my life, I will follow you. See how that's a very different request that the guy is making? The guy's like, hey, I really like you, Jesus, but I don't know, if that, like, I don't know what that would mean with my family. I don't know what that would mean if I really commit to following you. I'm just going to wait till, like I can do all the decisions on my own. And Jesus is like, you, you got to choose, man. Like, like, choose to follow me. Or choose to like, wait for the approval of your family or someone else. And it's a focused response that Jesus gives them. Like, choose to follow me. Because there's this reality that Jesus isn't trying to be mean. What he's trying to help us understand is that there's a choice we can make. And we can choose what is most important. Because look at what he says. If you give up your life for my sake, you will what? You'll save it. And they just save it for what reason? Save it for what purpose? And I think that's where we got to understand what Jesus said he came to do for us. 
In John 10.10, 10, Jesus is contrasting himself with Satan, with, with the one who would come in and want to deceive us. And, and he calls him this, this thief and this liar. And he says that he only wants to steal and kill and destroy. That's all he wants for you. He goes, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And when I begin to realize, Jesus, if I believe you and I trust you, and I begin to pursue you, and you become first in my life, I begin to experience that full life you want to give me. I begin to experience your best beginning in my life and transforming me so that I actually begin to become the person, not only what that I was meant to be and created to be, the person that I actually long to be. Because you begin to do your work in me. You begin to turn me into the person I've always wanted to be that I can't always figure out how to be on my own. Like, you actually help me be a better version of myself. You lead me into this full life, this eternal life, and it begins as I make you first and follow you. And I know the times in my life where I have made Jesus first, I've seen the benefit of that. I've seen him make me a better husband to Christy when Jesus is first, and Christy is a close second. Because <laughs> what happens when I make Christy first is I put an unhealthy burden on her. Babe, be everything for me. Fulfill me. Meet all my needs. I need you to complete me. Jerry Maguire got it wrong. Can you imagine the, the, the burden we put on each other when we do that to each other? I need you to complete me. Like two incomplete people don't make a whole. Two whole people make a beautiful unit together. And when Jesus is my first priority... And I don't put that burden on her. I'm actually a better husband to her. I'm actually a better father when Jesus is first in my life. Because I begin to realize that what my kids need from me is to see somebody that's so committed to following Jesus, they'll say yes to whatever he's asking. And I don't need neglect them in that. I actually bring them into that journey with me so that they begin to understand this is what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. And see, I think one of the dangers that we have in our culture right now, especially as parents, is that we think the number one goal for our kids is their happiness. Let me tell you, that's a dangerous game to play. Because if the number one goal for me as a parent is to make sure my kids are happy, then I will say yes to things that make them feel happy today but might cause destruction later in their life. Can you imagine if I did that from, like, day one? Like, when, when all my kids wanted was cotton candy? Well, if that's what makes you happy, okay, it's going to be a great life. Like, they're on the train to a lot of dysfunction, aren't they? But the greatest thing that I can show them is like, hey, happiness is a beautiful byproduct of a life lived well. And a life lived well is sometimes hard and challenging, but we follow a Jesus that helps us live that life. And if we'll say yes to him, he'll lead us into our best. My number one goal for my kids is not their happiness. My number one goal for my kids is that they would know Jesus and that he's worth it. See, I'm a better father when Jesus is first in my life because of what flows out around that. I actually become a better friend when Jesus is first in my life. Because I, I'm, I'm actually a friend who's not living for your approval of me. I'm a friend who's saying, Jesus, what do you want? Because that'll actually cause me to serve people better in my, my story. I'll say yes to you no matter what that means. And people can trust that Joel's somebody who's going to say yes to Jesus, not just tell me what I want to hear. I remember when I was a teenager, I had a leader that just, he, he was really invested in us. And, and he had us memorize this verse from Galatians 1.10. And 
And in, in Paul's writing there, because he's taken some hits from following Jesus at that point in his life, and, and Paul just writes this in Galatians 1.10. He goes, am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Because, man, if I was trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so one of the great dangers that we can go through in life is that we're just trying to please people and make people happy. And if that's our number one goal, we're going to miss the voice of Jesus. As he calls us to things that may not always be what others want to hear, but ultimately what others need to see in us is a commitment to him because that will give them a picture. That's what it's like to trust this Jesus person and see his best unfold in our life. And so, guys, it's, it's Jesus first. It's Jesus first because he's the greatest. And all the good that we could ever hope for in life will flow from that priority of him first in our story. And as that happens, we begin to fan the flame of passion for Jesus in our lives. And so it's Jesus first. And then Jesus, what's the second one? Always. Like Jesus always. Everywhere. Like Jesus is not just somebody who's like a weekend hobby. Right? Like, do you know people that are kind of like, like they're weekend hobbyists and they got a passion for something, but like it doesn't shape the rest of their life? And it's just like, that's cool. But like, I, I have friends that have old car, uh, cars in their garage that have been there for decades. And they're like, oh, I'm an, I'm an enthusiast. Someday this car is going to get out on the highway. And I'm like, it's probably your kid who's going to finish it the rate you're going, right? Like, and I think sometimes we do that with Jesus. Like, Jesus, I'm going to give you the week, my weekend and somehow think that's going to be, I'm going to experience the best of you. And it's like, no, it's Jesus always. Like, he's worthy of every day of our lives, not just Sunday. Because Jesus is worthy of us always because he is always worth it. What he wants to do in our lives and in our stories. You see this interesting conversation that Jesus has with, with this rich guy that comes to him with a question. In Mark 10, Mark tells us the story that the one day this rich, rich guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I really like what you're about. And can you help me understand? Like, I, I want to know how to live my best life. Like, what do I have to do to get this eternal life that God talks about? And, and Jesus understands the, the issue in the guy's life. And, and he's like, well, okay, well, you got to what does God want? What does God tell you? And he's like, well, follow all the commandments. And, and the guy's like, well, I've done all that. And it's interesting that Jesus understands that his religiousness isn't fulfilling him. But he also understands that his richness isn't fulfilling him. So the guy's like, so what else do I have to do? And Jesus is like, okay, there's one thing you lack. And he tells this guy, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy's response is that of disappointment and sadness. And he hangs his head and he walks away sad because he realizes that, that, that that's more important to him than Jesus. And then Jesus turns to his followers and he says, like, I'm telling you, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because they think they can answer all the questions themselves with what they've got. That's why a lot of times we find Jesus when we hit rock bottom. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like rock bottom is when you're kind of the most open. <laughs> and, and Peter's listening to Jesus in this moment, and he's kind of doing the math. And, and he says, hold on, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And he says, so what's in it for us? Because like, when Jesus said, Peter, follow me, Peter was a, a fisherman, arguably maybe doing a good job. We don't know. Like, like he's just kind of like middle class in his day, and he's got his own business, and it seems like he's taking care of his family. But when Jesus says, follow me, Peter drops his nets and leaves it all to go follow after Jesus. And so Peter's like, I I've given up everything to follow you. Like, what's in it for me? And I love what Jesus says to Peter. 
He says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. And I think Jesus is advocating some kind of like weird prosperity gospel. I think what Jesus is saying is that whatever it costs you to follow me, whatever it costs you relationally, whatever it costs you, you're going to find it a hundredfold because you're going to step into a new community and a new family. And you're going to suddenly have spiritual siblings and parents. You're not going to be alone anymore because there are others who are choosing me that are on that journey with you. And you're going to have more. And I'll just tell you, like, any, any place that Christy and I have gone, we found that. Like, we found community. We found people like, like oh, hey. I, I remember years ago, my, my cousin and I, we, we flew the red-eye flight to Washington, D.C. We were part of the, the Promise Keeper movement, if some of you are maybe familiar with that, years ago. And so, like, there's, like, the, the million members. Like, hey, a million Christian men on D.C. What could go wrong? So we're like, let's go. And I remember just, like, walking around that day, and it was so interesting to see just the different expressions of Christianity and all this stuff, and it was just kind of like, how's this going to go? And I just remember, like, there's this moment where they had us just huddle up with people we never met, and let's just pray for each other. And I remember just standing in the circle with these guys, and I'm like, I don't know you from any moment prior to this, but we have this one thing in common. Like, dude, you're my brother. How cool is that? And I remember, like, like we just, like, we ended the prayer, and I was just like, I'll, I'll see you later. And he's like, when is that going to happen? And I'm like, Dude, heaven, hello, right? Like, and he's like, oh, that's right. Like, I'll see you again. <laughs> and this is like what Jesus is talking about. Like, there's so much that we gain, even though it's going to cost us. And so it's Jesus always. Jesus is worthy of us always because he's always worth it. And catch this, not just when it feels good, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard and when it hurts, because that happens. That's a part of it. Because there is a cost of following Jesus. Notice what he said? All these great things now and eternal life. But what did he say right in the middle? Along with persecutions. Well, that's part of it. There's a cost of following Jesus because Jesus calls us to give up our own way and begin to embrace his way. And there will be times where that will put us at odds with the way the world works the way the world operates. And those are the moments where it gets hard to follow Jesus, where it's not popular. Not everyone is going to like it when somebody who says, I identify with Jesus, walks into the room. And part of the reason why is that, that the world teaches us to sing a certain kind of song. The world teaches us to sing this song, My Way. Have you heard it? Yeah, Frank does a great job singing it, doesn't he? And it's like such a nostalgic song, and like I like we'll put it. I like I love like putting old music on for the girls, and then I'm like my music is old music to them. That's just tragic. But I love like putting it on, and, and I just like I mean like this is one of those songs that's just fun to put on. And yet you listen to the song, singing it like like my way, my way, and it's like but Frank, you're dead. Like your song still winds up in the place I'm trying to avoid. Is there a better way? And that's what like Jesus actually comes. I want to teach you to sing a different song. I want to teach you to sing a song that will bring you into eternal life. And, and that song is called God's Way. Like, God, what do you have? What's the life you're calling me into? And we see Jesus show us the beauty of this song. 
Like we're told that, that the night he's arrested and he's in, before he's arrested, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's wrestling with the father with, the, with what's about to go down. And, and if you read that account of his life, we're told that he is in such deep angst about what's about to happen and he's wrestling and he's like, Father, if there's any other way that we can do this, if there's any other way to rescue the human race, like sign me up. And yet each time, we're told three different times, he says, but not my will, your will be done. Thank God Jesus surrendered himself to the Father because we have hope in our story because of him. And he teaches us to do the same thing because it's always worth it on the other side. And his own followers realize this. John, one of his first followers, he writes this, 1 John 2.17, he just says this. He says, the world and its desires fade away, pass away. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. I remember when we were living in Canada, Christy had taking this picture while we were still living in California and just like Instagram and she turned it into a magnet and she just put it on our refrigerator and, and it just had these words, follow him, he is worth it. Can I just tell you how many times I would just stare at that magnet in deep winter when it's minus 30 outside and life is miserable and it's horrible and I'm like, like Jesus, I don't like, we said yes and now we're here, like what is this all about? And I would just stare at that magnet and I'm like, I'm really banking on this to be true. And time and time again, he would demonstrate his goodness and his faithfulness. Like there's never been a moment where my yes didn't lead to the worth it in time. And we follow him because he's first, he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. And so it's Jesus first. Jesus always. And Jesus what? Jesus now. Jesus now. One of the favorite weddings I ever got to do and be a part of was this couple that when we were still living in Southern California, uh, they were both graduating from university. They had their degrees working in the, the movie industry. And so they had this mixture of friends. They had some professors that were like high-end film teachers and stuff like that. And then they had a bunch of their friends from church. And so I remember like as we were pr- like planning out what, what's the wedding going to look like, they said like, hey, and the reception is going to be awesome. Because what we're actually doing, we're asking all of our church friends, we're, we're, we're doing assigned seating, and we're spreading out all of our church family amongst our other friends. Because we want those two worlds to collide. Because we are so excited for our, our, our friends from school to meet our church family, because we think you're all amazing. And I just thought, like, how brilliant. You guys are leveraging your wedding <laughs> to help people encounter Jesus' people. Like, how cool or risky is that? <laughs> And so I remember like, like the day of the wedding came, and it's always interesting for me when I'm in those mixed settings, because when you're the one officiating the service, people are like, well, that's the pastor guy, you know, and, like, and I'm, I'm wearing a suit, so like they don't know what I look like normally, like I'm like a t-shirt and jeans guy, as you can see, so like, so like, so it's always fun, like when Christy and I go and like we sit down at our table afterwards, and we're like, who are these people, and people are immediately like, oh, the pastor is at our table, so this is going to be super fun, right, so and like, so like, I, I'm, I always try hard, like I'd be the first to like raise the glass and, and tell the story and like, like just like, hey, I'm not a fuddy-duddy, like Jesus is actually good and he's done good things. And, and so it was really neat, like I got to sit down next to one of his props. And as the course of the evening unfolded, this guy just kept leaning in and asking me questions. And he's just like, hey, like some of that stuff you were saying during the wedding, like that was really good. I really like it. And, and then there's just this point, he's like, like, can I just ask you some questions straight up? I was like, Sure. It's just like, 
I get the whole Jesus thing. Like, like I grew up with that in my background. I understand that story. And like, there's this God who, who loves me. And, you know, like, so there's forgiveness being offered to me. He's like, why would I care about that right now? He's like, why, why don't I just live my life and do what I want? And then at the very end, just say the prayer and it's all good. And I was like, that's a great question. Because it, it, what he's, there's like a value weight question to what he's asking. And so I just remember like, like talking about like, like it seems as if like your, your view of Jesus is that he's like primarily fire insurance, right? That's what it kind of, that's what it kind of seems like. Like so that you're kind of like, what, like I, I want to kind of have my cake and eat it too. I want to live my life the way I want. And then just at the, at the last minute, like cash in the policy and, and I'll be okay. And I said like, let me just like ask you a couple questions. First of all, do you have any guarantees in your future story that you'll cash in that policy at the time that you want to? Just, I'm just, you know, like, you're assuming that you'll get that chance, right? Like, life's crazy. You may not get that chance. It'd be kind of like, like, we're all here. We understand fire season and the reality. And you're like, I don't have fire insurance because I'm saving the money for other stuff. But I'm going to buy the policy when I need it. But when the house is burned down, it's too late to buy the policy, right? Like, so I'm just like, like you're, you're kind of banking that you'll, you'll have that chance. But I think a, a bigger idea is that you're, you're seeing Jesus as nothing more than just your escape plan. And what he actually said he came to do was to, to restore something broken in all of our stories. Like what he, he actually said he came to do was to, to bring us back into relationship with the God of the universe. The, the God who is the source of all truth and life and beauty and goodness. That when we find Jesus, he says, I want to reintroduce you to God, and you get to call him Father now. And he will fundamentally meet every longing of your life because you were created for him. Why, why wouldn't you want that now? Like, why, why wouldn't you want to experience that? That Jesus has come to do something amazing. He's offering a restored relationship with God. And, then, and as we were just talking, I was like, just imagine, you can bring up that next slide. Is it just like, imagine, like we were just orphans. Like we, we grew up and we never knew who dad was. And suddenly someone came to us and said like, hey, your dad has been looking for you your whole life. And he's just found you. And he wants to invite you into his family. And here's the deal. Your dad is like richer than Elon Musk. And he's a good guy. And he's got a life for you. Can you imagine if we just chose this at the table like, eh, I'll just wait till the end and then just hopefully I get some of his money. It's like, no, no, if there's like this longing in us to know the source of life, like, why wouldn't we want to choose that now? Because, you know, as we were talking, like every longing you have in your life, every longing I have in my life, we're trying to find something that satisfies it, right? H have you found it yet? Because I've tried to find it. But when I found Jesus, I began to find the fulfillment in this life he's offered us. So why would we want to wait? And, and, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a dangerous assumption you're also making that, you, that you've come close enough to understand it up here and you think, well, then I'll just choose it someday. But why do you think you would choose it someday if you're not choosing it now? Because if Jesus isn't in the story, then it's us on our own trying to figure out God. And we're just kind of on this trajectory going forward in life, hoping that eventually we'll find God or choose God or whatever. It, it, like, it looks like if there's no Jesus in the story, it looks like this picture. You can bring up the next one. 
Next one. We're just kind of going forward, hoping that somehow we'll find God. But here's the reality. The, t- the trajectory of our life, it's not a static trajectory. If we're, if we're not actually choosing God, the reality is we're, we're probably choosing something else, which means we're probably walking away from God, which means that the trajectory of our life will start to look like, like this over time. And, and the longer we walk in that life, the longer I'm walking away from God, and whatever I'm choosing, I'm giving myself to, and what I give myself to will ultimately determine my destiny. And so why do I think, why would we think that who I will become in 10 years, and 20 years, and 30 years, 60 years from now, if this is the trajectory, show this next one, why do I think that person would choose God if my whole life has been leading me away from him? when I'm in proximity to him now because Jesus is close. And I just, as we were just talking, I was just like, so I, I think that's why maybe now's a good time to consider <laughs> the questions that you're asking because there's obviously enough of an interest and a hunger that we're having the conversation. But that's a dangerous assumption that you might think, oh, someday I will because why would you if you don't want it now? I love what Paul writes about this. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, he says these words. He says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. So I just want to say to those of you that have been hanging out on this journey and wondering if there's a life for you, the answer is yes. And his name is Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to not wait any longer if he's showing up in your story right now. And I know that, that there's a wrestle with that. Like, well, what will it mean if I give Jesus my yes? And I'm like, it's, it, it will be a wild ride. I can promise you that. But it's a good ride because he's a good God and he's got a life for you. Don't put off tomorrow when the offer is on the table today that he's inviting you into something new. Next week, we're having baptisms here. And baptisms is a way that we say as a follower of Jesus, I choose you. I belong to you. And I know sometimes we, like, we get freaked out with that. Maybe some of us grew up with like, like some unhealthy religious baggage in our story. And, and so we think, like, well, if I'm going to be baptized, I have to like, have it all figured out and have to like, be perfect and I have to answer all the questions. And let me tell you, if that was the case, none of us would get baptized. And I love when you see people choosing baptism in the stories we see in the scriptures. It's like, hey, I like this Jesus. What should I do? Let's get baptized and then we'll figure it out. Because <laughs> that's like the first step. Like, like, okay, like, I, I know enough that I like Jesus, and I know enough that I like what he's doing in my life, so I want to follow him, and so all I'm really committing is, Jesus, I'm going to give you my yes, the best I know how, for the rest of my life, and I'm going to trust you with my story. That's what baptism is. And so if some of you are kind of like, I, 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 I don't know, but there's a part of you that's like, maybe, lean into the maybe, and take that step. And follow him and see what he wants to do in your life. And sign up today so next Sunday we can celebrate with you that Jesus has a life for you now.
And he's inviting you into it. And as you take that step, know that he is always worth it. Because he is always good and he is always for you. And so new life. I want to fan that flame in your story. Jesus first. Jesus always. And Jesus now. And may you continue to chase him with everything you've got because he has a life for you and he wants to do incredible things through you in this world around you. And so Jesus, we we come into this moment and we just want to pause and just say, thank you. Thank you that you came into this world so that you could meet each of us in our own stories and offer us the hope of something better than however we find ourselves today. And so would we not lose sight of that? And would we know that there's a life you have for us? And for some of us, it might just be the very first time of saying, I want that life, and, and reaching out to you and asking you to come and begin to do new work in us, uh, asking you to give us the forgiveness we need and, and to, to turn from the old life and turn towards the new life, and then asking you every day of our lives to help us keep doing that so that we can experience all that you have for us in this world. And so would we choose you? Would we give you our yes so that we can see all that you have for us? I love that, that you promised that, that you said that you're, you're going away to prepare a place for us and and now you're, you're going to be coming back at some point. You didn't leave us on our own to figure it out. You gave us your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to come in and guide us as we learn to hear your voice leading us. But like whatever we've tasted and seen, like it's barely the appetizer of what you have prepared for us. Like you have more for us. You have a life for us. And so help us to chase you into all of that so we get to see you in every area of our life. So thank you that you are good. We give ourselves to you because we trust you, Jesus. Amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.